All right, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast, and, and after a week of promising a, uh, a regular routine and a day that we're going to be posting uh, regularly, we're going off of that because there, there's news to talk about, and we also wanted to get to a basketball-specific podcast later this week to make Chris nice and happy and cheery. Uh, so we're recording this on Tuesday. I'm joined by Chris Nee and Josh Newberg, and I can almost guarantee you by the time we're done recording or shortly thereafter, there'll probably be some news that this will be obsolete, but that's just how it goes. So anyways, guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, we have a fair amount to get into considering it's off season. It's just the off season that, that doesn't seem to end. And, and let's get into the news that's happened since our podcast last week. And that's uh, Greg Fry, offensive line coach, uh, being dismissed and, uh, we're reporting that Randy Clements is expected to be named the offensive line coach. We thought maybe this weekend or Monday. Uh, Randy Clements is on campus. Uh, but, but let's talk about Fry first. And, and Josh, I'll kick this off to you because I know you've covered Greg Fry previously. Um, so, so I'll let you start with your thoughts and just you know, how everything went down. Yeah, I think it's been pretty evident that Randy Clements was a part of the Bryles deal. Kendall Bryles was hired, I believe it was two days before Christmas. So towards the end of December, um, the Bryles hires was made and, and everybody kind of pieced him and Randy Clements together as a package deal. Um, there was reports out of ESPN and in the FSU markets and um, everybody had Randy Clements coming to FSU. That secret was pretty poorly kept. But the way things have transpired over the last couple of months is the staff just ha- it, it hasn't gotten done. Um, here we sit with with Greg Fry fired, and we're here on Tuesday morning, Tuesday around noon, and we still have no completion of the Randy Clements to FSU deal <laughs> being announced yet, although it's more than fully expected to I mean, happen. He, he's on campus. I, I, Chris and I saw him with our own two eyes. Four our eyes. own two eyes. <laughs> Sorry, that just sounded like we saw. It sounded like you're telling an olden story. Back in my day, Randy Clements only cost five cents. My old two eyes. Okay, go we ahead. Lost Josh. Josh, if you could see his face right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm here for the entertainment, fellas. Um, but the the firing of Fry comes at a weird time. Um, it, when the fire when the firing went down, it was about a week after signing day. It was it was a little over a week after signing day. It was last Friday to be exact exact. So it was a news dump. Um, Fry was unceremoniously let go. The former 1993 national champion at FSU uh, signed with FSU last January, I believe it was, or was he in it very into December? Either way, um, he did just over a year. And the coaching business is a ruthless business. Uh, I know this as well as anybody. I know a lot of coaches throughout the country. Um, I've seen how business gets conducted. Uh, within the coaching industry, and at times it's ruthless, and this is an example of that. I think um, you can say whatever you want. Coaches get moved for various reasons, whether it be performance, recruiting, uh, just fit. There's all kinds of reasons why somebody might get moved. Um, and, and Greg Fry, you know, business is business, but I think there's a way that you can conduct your business that can kind of set you aside from from other coaches, and I think that Willie Taggart – um, having kept Greg Fry on staff through signing day, it I don't think that's the best way to conduct business. Um, if you know, everybody knew he was he was going to move Fry in some sort of capacity, uh, whether that be to split the O line, to move him off field as a, in the recruiting office to be a, a, a an ambassador, an FSU alum ambassador off the field. You know, there's various roles, or to be fired. 
Um, it's obvious something was going to happen. The question is, why did it? Why did Willie wait until after signing day? Um, I got a couple texts as it went down from coaches in the business. One said, bad deal. That's it. Just got a text. Said, bad deal. <laughs> another said, wow. And another said, WTF is going on. Um, it's, not, it's not something you typically see. If, if you're firing somebody and, you, and, and you're going to keep them for recruiting, that's one thing. But we heard, you know, what, what Fry did on the recruiting trail, and he missed, and he did that, and the other. Well, that's fine. If he's not a good recruiter, I just think letting somebody go before the coaching convention is probably the best way to do business. It's not the only way to do business. Willie Taggart's free to let somebody go whenever they want. But the way you show somebody respect and the way that you thank them for the job that they did, because let's all – Greg Fry had a tough task. Maybe he didn't do the best job possible. You can say all the things that you want, but he is a former alum. He did come in and do everything you asked of him. I just think the fi- the, the timing of the firing could have been better. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? I mean, Stoic. Josh is much closer to that whole situation. You know, He's known both of the individuals primarily involved in that and Willie Tager and Greg Fry for some time, so I think he speaks pretty clearly on it. I mean, I... I, I I view coaches as mercenaries yeah. largely. I don't I don't get emotionally attached. Greg was making what 650k. Yeah. yeah, he's doing well for himself. Do I feel bad for a guy getting fired? Hell yeah. Nobody likes losing their job. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. Do I think Greg deserved to be fired? No, not really. Um, but it, the simple truth of it all is when Kendall Bryles was hired, Randy Clements was hired. Yeah. I don't know why we've waited outside of playing the money chicken game. Which we'll talk about that in a yeah, minute, too. With Houston. But, you know, that that's the clear and simple path. But, I mean, Greg Fry knew he wasn't one of Willie's dudes. He knew he wasn't in that tightly knit group of safety, and it nipped him in the bud. Yeah, uh, a couple of things there. One, this is something that we've, we've heard a little bit, is that Willie has his guys, his circle, and we've seen it in the hiring process. He's had a hard time attracting some guys outside of that circle, at least uh, through two off-seasons. Is that fair to say? It hasn't been yeah, easy. Yeah, and, and I think at this point, um, you know, I thought maybe Greg Fry was on the fringe of being in that circle because he is a Harbaugh guy, you know, who Willie has a lot of respect for. for. He did take him from Jim Harbaugh. Um, and there was a conversation with Harbaugh prior to approaching Fry. He's an FSU alum. I thought maybe he was on the fringe of Willie Taggart's circle. Obviously, he's not. So when we look at the, the circle, like who Willie Taggart has hitched his wagon to, it's really Dante Pimpleton and, and Raymond Woody. Yeah. Yeah. And to a lesser maybe degree, Tyler, David Kelly. But Lockett just outside that. Yeah. Well. Although we don't know. We, we should talk about the coaching staff, too. But with DK, we don't know exactly where he ends up fitting in within all this too because uh, right now they have 10 coaches we'll, we'll get into that but yeah so, so you get rid of a guy after a year and I think to some extent that doesn't look great but depending on your viewpoint on it like Chris said coaches are paid handsomely it's largely an industry of mercenaries and I know they talk about family and unity and being together and, and, and you can <laughs> it's only true as long as they're wearing the same <laughs> exactly polos. Once uh, the polos change, they're just recruiting and telling stories for a not exactly. school. It's not. There's very few coaches that I've covered in the last 20 years that I would say are truly, fully dedicated to their schools. Without a shadow of a doubt, Bobby Bowden obviously was one. Mickey mm-hmm. Andrews was obviously one. 
And I would throw uh, Odell 100% into that conversation as well. Those three men, no doubt about it. Beyond that, there's a lot of guys that have attachments, a lot of guys that like where they work. I think Dugan's being back at FSU is sort of an example of that. But in the general sense of coaches, it's about going to get a bigger paycheck and going somewhere else. Assistant coaches change jobs on an average of about every two to three years at this point in college football at the highest level. It's just... uh, I, I struggle to think, oh, this is awful, or nah, it doesn't create much of an emotional response for me. I mean, with, with firing Fry, is it the best course of action from a business sense for Willie for future potential hires? No. But if Willie wins and he has a piggy bank to shove at guys, it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. matter. Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of how I view it. We get back to the topic we were talking about a couple years ago, and I think this, this applies. We were talking about it with Jimbo. Um, the way Jimbo treated people was less than to be desired. Um, The average person would not want to be treated that way. And we talked about you can treat people however you want in college football as long as you're winning. When you're not winning, how you treat people matters. And Willie Willie Taggart has struggled in making hires previously. A move like this doesn't – it's not going to stop – You know, FSU has a lot of money. FSU is still going to be able to hire coaches. But we've seen several coaches that have been approached turn this job down, uh, whether it be last year or this year. And situations like this, Greg Fry is well-known within the coaching world. He's been doing this for about 15 years at the highest level. A lot of coaches know him. A lot of coaches understand that business is business. But um, they look at the way that he was dismissed as kind of a head-scratcher. So I I think – I think this just is another move for Willie Taggart where he's pushing his chips all in and and winning is ultimately going to be the only thing that matters because the goodwill that he's built up, it seems like it's been diminishing ever since he's, you know, ever since the season kicked off. So that's Virginia Tech. Yeah. But if he, if he doesn't win, he's, he's not going to be here long term. So it's sort of like a, if he believes Ken, if he believes Kendall Bryles and that offense is what's going to sort of save his job slash bring the program back to prominence. Those two are closely connected. Then you you got to go all in. If you're giving a guy a million dollars to be your offensive coordinator and saying, here's the keys to the car and you're driving a car and it's your car seven days mm-hmm. a week, you allow him to pick out who's yeah. in the passenger seat with him. And he didn't want Greg Fry in that seat. He wants Randy Clement. It, so sure. it's and cut and dry to me in that I, sense. I, again, just to wrap it up, I don't think there's any – there doesn't need to be a, a good reason to, to get rid of Fry. There doesn't really need to be. The only the just the odd thing is is just the way that it all went down and the way that it was dragged out and why he wasn't relieved of his duties earlier. But is there is there ever a good time to fire someone? Yeah, no, before the coaching convention. Yeah, it, it would have been more advantageous for him to go get another job. Or when you know family's not. It's ever a good time to be fired. Yeah. I guarantee, not one of them says, "Yeah, Chris, two weeks after signing day is a good time to be fired." Yeah, but people are trying to complete signing classes and coaching changes happen frequently after signing day. It's it's a business of uh, bullshit charades. What? I have to edit it now. <laughs> you don't have to edit it. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a business where they're trying to get to a certain point on the calendar and achieve a certain something by that point, and then it's about the next calendar point and the next thing they need to achieve. And yeah. yeah, if you fire them around Christmas, you're you're messing with guys who are early signees, a Jay Williams type, for example. If you fire them after signing day, you're messing with the guys that just signed. I, there's not a good time. It's just sort of a... It's an order of the business. I don't think. I, I agree. I think you can recruit anyway, so why not? You know, <laughs> but so I think logical people could look at it 
in a couple ways, and you could be right. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Is you could look at it as one way, in that it's you can be you can be right at different levels. Right, yes. and, and there isn't one. My point of view doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right point of view. Chris, you know, we all can be. It's just how you view it. And and at the end of the day, like. I mean, if we were firing people when they should have been fired, Alonzo Hampton should have been fired, like, Monday after week four. But sometimes you wait because you just think you have to wait. And I think with Greg Fry, while it was a weird, dragged-out process of a guy being essentially a lame duck from December 20-something to the point when he did get fired about a week ago, it, it just sort of played out that way. They weren't in a position where they were able to hire Randy Clements that very moment and that very second, and that's a whole different conversation we can have about why can't a hire happen immediately at FSU? Why does it seem to be a struggle to immediately pull off effective hires? Yeah. Whole different discussion. We can talk about but, that too. We but will. they weren't they weren't gonna do that. So they waited until the point where they were in the neighborhood of being able to make that hire. The game of chicken with, with Houston for Clements, um, if you're Florida State, that just doesn't look great, right? The optics of, of Houston's kind yeah, of dictating terms time, a little. Um, if, if Ohio State wanted an O-line coach or if Clemson or if Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or El Florida, I mean, I've never seen a coach be held hostage in the way that it was. I'm not saying it wasn't for good reason, and, and I'm not saying that Houston played it right or FSU played it wrong. But you don't see this at other at other programs. You don't yeah. see Ohio State wait for for eight weeks to hire a assistant coach. Yeah, I mean the, the again talking about dates on a calendar with Clements, the date is spring ball. You mm-hmm. want that guy in there to work with the offensive line, I and mean, you want him maybe to have some impact on him in the chase. But for them to truly work as a cohesive unit, spring is when he has to be here. So they had the luxury of waiting to some degree. Is it odd to me? Yes. Is it rare? Definitely. I agree with those points. But, like, were they being frugal? Yeah, I think they were being frugal. Which they have I, to be. It's not the worst thing. They have to be frugal right I, now, too. I wish FSU was more able to just throw money around idiotically. But I'm actually kind of happy that in some degree they're trying to be a little more intelligent with how they throw money around. They're not in the position to be throwing around money stupidly. Well, they could, but you can only do it for so long before it comes home to the um, Yes, correct. You can do it, but there's consequences. I mean, look at Auburn. They've been doing it like it's their job for decades. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But they have more money. They do. They can throw it around. They have have FU money. I mean, there's a difference there. Um, So... One thing, I don't think anyone was shocked that Clements was coming. Uh, initially, we had heard feedback from FSU that uh, maybe not, but th- that got kind of squished quickly where it became clear. As Josh said earlier, the capacity in which Clements was going to come to join Kendall Bryles was not known. Uh, I would even heard that he could have been an off-field analyst at one point. Uh, the split offensive line thing never made sense to me because – yeah, I know he did. Greg Fry did that at Michigan, but Michigan's tackle tight end combination is very different than Florida State's in the spread offense. Uh, tight ends aren't pseudo blockers in this offense, so that never made sense. But I don't think it caught anyone off guard that Clements was coming. I don't even think it caught Greg Fry off guard. And I think that players coming into campus, offensive linemen knew that this was something that was going to happen. I mean, heck, we reported yesterday that Clements touched base. Our intern uh, Zach talked to Zane Herring, and, and they had touched base already. So. Yeah, you know, there are, there are things going on. Um, sorry, Chris, you're getting email. Is that you're, you're good? Okay. Baseball's been postponed. Oh, I was afraid we were. Baseball's was, been postponed because of weather. That's okay, it. I thought we were getting uh, Clements hired uh, email as yeah. this was going yeah, on. Moved to Wednesday. <laughs> Mother Nature not cooperating with uh, ACC baseball this week. Oh, 
terrible. Um, but anyways, <laughs> don't act like you care. <laughs> but anyways, so Clemens coming wasn't a huge surprise. Again, the question was where he where he fits in. Uh, and Josh, you talked about this. I wanted to go over it real briefly because I've written it. I haven't posted it yet because I'm waiting for the hire to, to go through. Right. But uh, with Clemens, with Bryles, with Dugans coming in, Willie Taggart has completely revamped his offensive staff. And, and the moves may not even be finished yet, at least as far as realigning. Like right now, David Kelly is on staff, uh, but we don't know exactly where he's going to be at this time. Does he move off field? Uh, do they find a spot for him? I, I don't know what the dominoes are right now. Uh, but I'll say this, Willie Taggart is completely all in on winning. It's very transparent. That's the objective. Uh, there are some who are going to question the, the morals of, of hiring guys that connected with Baylor, even if they're, they're not mentioned you know, in some of the, the research and the reports that have been done uh, with the Baylor sexual assault scandal. Uh, There's some that are going to mention you know, the way that Greg Fry was let go unceremoniously, not an ideal way to do business. And I think you can look at it logically and, and agree with all those things. From a football perspective, they've made upgrades to the offensive staff, and that seems to be objective number one for Willie Taggart. They've made changes to the offensive staff. I think upgrades to the offensive staff, personally. Um, and obviously, we, we'll judge it after. Let's see if these are upgrades. Chris, Chris they're not, Nee. They're, they're not going to be worse than last year. <laughs> made an excellent point about continuity. Um, he talked about Randy needed being here for continuity. I think one of the biggest issues with Taggart's staff has been continuity. Yeah. Um, but we were told a year ago that FSU staff was going to be slowly put together because they wanted to make the right hires. Um, a year ago at this time, the staff was just being completed. It seemed like it took forever, but everybody accepted it because they were, they were, we were told that these were the right hires and that the right hires take time. Yeah. That was that was his public, I and mean, he he said that that he wanted informing his staff previously at other places he had made the wrong hires by just going with you know we thought were bigger names but didn't consider fit. Walt Bell did not gel. Correct. I mean that hire took a while. That hire that the issue with that hire was that it did he did not gel. And he wasn't he wasn't the first choice either. I think that's fair yeah. to 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 right. know too. Very, what, to um, me, this offseason has been hitting a reset button offensively. Yeah, I mean, it failed horribly. Yeah, but, but what you have now is another mercenary style staff where continuity is it could be the the big issue again. The and when you lack continuity, you lack organization, you everything kind of tends to look chaotic, maybe people aren't on the same page. So it's very important that they come together as a staff, but we don't even know what the staff is right now. I mean, is David Kelly on or is he off? Are they gonna add a DB coach? Is this the final staff? Is it not the final staff? We're almost to March 1st, and we talk about continuity. I don't know if it's going to be there. And, and to the point of continuity, um, because that is certainly when you're talking about a third offensive coordinator in, in three seasons now, uh, and obviously that's not entirely on Willie. That, that was also you – know, he, he, no, That's what the, the quarterbacks but, are doing. Exactly. That's what everyone in offense is dealing with. And the F- offense FSU was running with Jimbo well, well, Fisher. FSU had two offensive coordinators last year. Willie Taggart <laughs> That's true. So, so four offensive coordinators in three years. But – so anytime you're, you're talking about those kind of numbers, that's not a good sign, and there's usually a reason why that there's that kind of turnover happening that quickly. It, it doesn't create sustainability, and without sustainability, you're not going to have success. It also impacts players because players aren't sure if they're that guy's guy. Correct. If they fit with that guy. There, wants to there do. are the human, and the, there can become a disillusioned or unhappy or hey, here I come transfer. There, there's a very personal level that 
that that opens up and you have to kind of consider. And that's what we can't quantify and don't know. From yeah, and, uh, I, and, okay. and I like the addition of Dugans, but if it's at, at the expense of David Kelly moving off field, your best recruiter now off the field, I think the net win of hiring Dugans is lessened if you have to move DK off the field. I, I agree. Uh, or if it means you lose DK altogether if he wants to remain on field somewhere else. Like, and I don't know if that's the case, but I'm just saying like that's okay. – you, you open up DK that – stays on the field uh-huh. because they can't get the waiver form. Uh-huh. Willie Taggart's an offensive-minded coach. You already have an unbalanced staff if you went 5-5 five and five because Willie Taggart makes the odd man on the offensive side of the ball. Now you have six coaches on the offensive side of the ball. DK remains on field and four on defense. Well, not even. To me, that's gross mismanagement of... Snyder. He would still... Okay. I expect Snyder to still work in some capacity on the defense, even though it's time to make sure. Let's clarify for the listeners real quick who may not know, and then we'll get jump back into it. Robert Cooper yesterday during our media session with sophomores said on the record that Odell is now coaching the whole defense. That's Odell Higgins for those of you who don't know. We have heard that Coach Higgins would take over the whole defensive line for several weeks. Recruits had referenced it. There'd been a couple other, you know, moments of realizing that was happening. Now, Mark Snyder is still at FSU. We saw, I, him, yesterday I saw him yesterday at FSU. I saw everyone yesterday. He's been apparently. very active at FSU, even when we've been hearing that he would not be entitled defensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Now, what we don't know on Snyder, what we do know on Snyder is he is expected to be the special teams coach as of now. Ryan Fitzpatrick said that. When he was um, Fitzgerald, I did it. I said Fitzpatrick. I'd been so good about that, right? It's Fitzgerald. I called James Blackman Justin Blackman. Before the kicker, we Ryan. We're just going to drop the last name since he Ryan lost Fitz. Him. Yeah. Fitz Ryan. Fitz had said during the process that Snyder was one that took over for Hampton for him recruiting. It was going to be his special teams coach. But he didn't want that on the record on him during that time. But I think he's comfortable with it now that he's signed and it's becoming more publicly known. Um, what we don't know is what capacity Snyder, a former defensive coordinator in his own right, is going to have beyond special teams. Mm -hmm. I expect him to still assist on defense. I don't know if it will be in a more global sense of kind of being an extra set of eyes for Harlan, because him and Harlan work very closely together. If he'll still be very much embedded with the defensive line, working with Odell. I think... I don't know. Used exactly how Hampton was last year. If, if, you know... Hampton was used last year? With CBs. I, I literally have no clue what impact Alonzo Hampton made on FSC's program other than taking money for a year and then eventually getting oh fired. No, what did he do? They were horrendous at special teams, couldn't count to 11. He declined that penalty with such decisiveness against Syracuse. Such decisiveness. Alonzo Hampton is a colossal failure at FSU. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yes. He's the last hire <laughs> no. to be made, Chris. And we, we were told that all these were well, very well thought out. Should have vetted it for like another 12 even months. If, even if Mark Snyder helps out at defensive line, you have Odell, Raymond Woody, Harlan Barnett, and Mark Snyder on defense. That's four coaches on defense. At QB of Bryles, you have Pimpleton at running back, Clements at O-line, Lockett at tight end, Dugans at wide receiver, and Kelly at wide receiver. That's six coaches. Yes. One, Josh a two, Josh a three. Josh special teams coach. You can count at least to six, so 11 is probably not that far off. Uh, well, Will, what I'm saying is Willie Taggart's an offensive-minded coach as well. You are so heavily uh, weighted to the offensive side of the ball. I don't believe having Dugans and Kelly on the field at the same time was ever the intent. 
Take the leap. Yes, yeah. I got I got a mailman coming. <laughs> this has been a very weird podcast. Um, yeah, I, I think an additional defensive hire is a preference. We've talked about defensive back coach being a possibility. It has not happened. The whole waiver process for David Kelly is the biggest holdup. Ultimately, I don't think David Kelly's on the field next year, so I don't think they'll be weighted too much on offense. I think we do see an additional hire on defense, if able. But, again, that all comes back to our waiver process. Um, another member of the beat had told me and Brendan when we saw him yesterday that he had heard that FSU had the waiver denied initially and that they're appealing that. And, you know, that's where we stand with the never-ending waiver process of David Kelly that's now been going on for ballpark about 90 days. I love Amazon Prime. They should sponsor yeah. the podcast. So I just think the whole the whole process of hiring coaches here has been has just seemed like an extremely chaotic and difficult process. All right. I want From well that, I think now, I think that I think that's true, but I don't think it's solely on the man in charge. I think some of that is on the structure of FSU and the financials of FSU and how FSU handles their financials with their booster structure and their current interim AD process where they're cleaning up the books, some from previous AD and stuff like that. So I think that's a much bigger, complex deal for FSU. And the other thing is FSU has spent a lot of money in the coaching world in the last 36 to 48 months. And I think there's people that aren't very uncomfortable with that because FSU's never been of that sort. Mm-hmm. The only other time FSU's had to go and make a lot of hires was because a lot of guys got promotions and buyouts. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this whole we're paying to get rid of people and we're keeping people deal that you're having right now. It was a very different set of rules. That was, what, 2012, right, when yeah. they had that the massive staff change? They made eight hires because Billy Napier left for Alabama right. after he was hired. So yeah. that was, they made seven hires and then an eighth. Billy was here for like, if I remember, like twenty three days or something, supremely short. Yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so that's the only other time. So I think there's some uncomfortableness with it all, and you know, moving money around. I think that's where it's difficult. FSU doesn't have kind of a loosey goosey attitude towards the way they do their financials and the way they spend towards football. And people can have an issue with that. I understand that that's a point of contention with some people because they see Clemson, who's willing to literally just throw every dime they make as an athletic program towards their football program. I get that. That's just not the way FSU is currently but run. But they do it in the name of continuity. I mean, they're not out here. Well, yeah, but I'm streets like grabbing big name coaches. Right, because they're paying their coordinators coach. five million bucks. Yeah. I think what right exactly what Clemson doing is, is different. They're paying people what they earn, what they earned at the at the school. Um, so I think it's a little bit different in that sense. Well, I think FSU has shown that they're willing to pay people who have success. I mean, they gave Jimbo an absurdly idiotic contract. Um, financially, that yeah. was absurd. So I think they've shown they're willing to play that kind of game. I think it's more the, are we hiring this guy for literally six to eight months, or is this guy here for two or three years or five years? I think that's where the uh, concern comes in at this point. When you're when you're firing a guy you know, whose contract literally just hit the one-year point in Greg Fry at the end of January, his mm-hmm. letter of understanding hit the one-year yeah, no point. contract. Um, you start getting into that territory of, you know, well, we just fired two coaches this offseason. We're trying to move it on. We're hiring three. We just paid a coordinator a million who has some baggage to his name. I think people are uncomfortable. I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting at. I think people that yeah. deal with the finances of FSU are uncomfortable. And that's why, to some degree, coaching hires at FSU at times 
when you know who the person is that's getting hired can seem clunky or uh, stuttered or just take freaking forever. I mean, I feel like we're always constantly on the when is the news <laughs> dropping weight and mm-hmm. it's tiresome as guys on the beat. And um, I know that from me and Brendan talking about it and plenty of others that we talk with. It gets old, but that's how FSU has operated. Yeah, we and that was true last yeah. offseason to some degree. With an entirely new staff coming, yeah, to an extent. This is, I mean, it's to the point. Like yesterday, I'm going to walk the dog, and I'm having to text you guys to make sure someone's by the computer because we're expecting. Sure, this, this, like this isn't. This, we, that's we not. We walk normal. out of a more athletic center and we see Randy Clements going in. Yeah, with, you know, side door with other people, and it's like, well, everybody in, on earth knows that's a dude, and he's here. What are we waiting the, on at this the point? The Twitter header is almost done. So what are we waiting on? So yeah. Uh, one last thing, unless there's something else you guys want to go on with the coaches before we move on to the next topic. Um, but uh, Josh was talking about cohesion, and the one point that I want to make and I wasn't able to make because I'm told I'm the one who interrupts. But <laughs> have I been doing that today, son? Uh, or was it Josh? Both. Oh, Anyways, okay. I tried it. But anyway, people don't pe- yeah, people don't really care much about my opinion. Exactly. Is we're, we're, just getting... trying to, we're trying to save you from yourself. <laughs> That's all it really is. I'll, give me twenty seconds here. No pressure. Oh God, I'm getting anxious. Um, <laughs> if you're gonna redo the coaching staff on offense, you're gonna be revamping it, which they more or less have. Uh, if it's going to be a third coordinator or fourth coordinator in as many as many seasons, Kendall Bryles at least gives you some chance for continuity because he has basically coached the same offense that Willie Tiger has tried to install. And Clements is someone that knows how to coach the offensive line there. Last year was more of a mismatch of different pieces of guys they thought were talented coaches, uh, but came from different schemes that weren't all the exact same. So there was a learning curve. This gives it a little bit less of that uh, as far as getting new coaches. I think it's the best case scenario as far as on the field. How was that? 35 seconds, but it was good. It was good. <laughs> it was, it was, was pretty good, though. It was 35 seconds. You were looking at me. Like, this feels like it's going on way yeah, too long. Yeah, I was like, hey, he's hit 20, but I'm going to let him <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's get into real quick. Uh, Landon Dickerson entered the portal, transfer portal, I should say, after our last podcast, uh, and he's already withdrawn from it. So FSU and transfer portal has been... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you have a little PTSD I, I, over the I, transfer I, I, portal. Portal shock. Yet. But... Uh, it, it's just a, it's a fun event. I don't think Landon particularly was enamored with the TPS previous D. offensive line coach. So I think that played a part in that. It seemed to. People um, trying to act like it was but, a, a revolt that he went to, it. and I don't think that was the offensive case. Offensive linemen generally usually hate their offensive line coach until they eventually love him. I, I was about to say. That's just the natural order of business. Most guys thought Trigger was a son of a you-know-what, and by the end they were carrying him on his shoulders and having <laughs> to be done with him. So, or, it, or Chris, were they just making sure that he never returned to the game again? <laughs> I don't know. So, but yeah, it was fun. Good transfer portal time. So FSU still has, like, what, four or five souls in the transfer portal? But yeah, we'll get on. They we'll, also have, like, five that have withdrawn now. Yeah, we'll get time. into the names. And, and just because your name – Again, the transfer portal thing, we're all still trying to figure out. But just because you don't have a withdrawn by your name doesn't mean that you're intending to leave still. Yeah. Uh, and just because your name isn't in the transfer portal doesn't mean you're on the mar- not on the market. So, but anyways, keeping Dickerson's good. Uh, people who are trying to spin it. And there was a lot more than I thought. Maybe it was a vocal minority. But there was a handful of people acting like, eh, that's not a big deal. He's hurt all the time. Which I know he's hurt all the time. One of the people calling him stuff, shut up. That's stupid. That, Ooh, that's, look you know, that's, that's idiotic to call. A grown you just man adjusted your pants. You? I have something in there too. I didn't think you knew uh, that about I mean, me. No, All right, yeah, we're good. Anyways, I, I think it's silly that people that clearly haven't played football before are calling him soft. Yeah, uh, he is injury prone. Absolutely, yeah. he's ended the last three seasons on the IR. Uh, but having 
a 10 to 30% chance of Dickerson any point in the season is better than zero with the way this offensive line is constructed. If he gives you 10 good starts next year, you got your Well, that's a win. That's an offensive yep. lineman. You know, 10 just, starts. That, I mean, that's amazing. If you get six out of I didn't say he was going to come <laughs> I'm saying if he does, that's a huge win. He's a much more experienced. Listen, Landon Dickerson's a Boy Scout, literally a Boy Scout. Like and he's an Eagle a Scout. good dude who's a good team leader, well liked by a majority of his guys in that unit. And he just – he's a good ambassador for and FSU. smart too. Like yeah. he knows multiple positions. For example, Plumlee comes to visit FSU. They have Dickerson. Yes. There's a reason for that. Those two are cut from similar cloth of leadership skills and mm-hmm. capabilities. So Landon Dickerson's a valuable guy to have around. If he gives it to you on the field, he's an extremely valuable guy, and that's what they need. They're better off with Landon Dickerson than without Landon Yeah, Dickerson. and anyone who is arguing otherwise – Well, here's the thing. I, I, Chris said it. The roster, at the end of the day, is this roster better with or without? With the fact that FSU is scrambling for transfers on the line right now, it's obvious that FSU is better off with Landon on than off. Um, but everybody freaking out about him. I mean, he's appeared in six total games, right, in the last two years. He appeared in Louisville and Virginia Tech. He injured himself in both those games. Prior season, he played in four games. Four Don't say games injured himself. In, you act like he trips and falls over. <laughs> Like he stepped on a rake or something. He didn't injure himself. Anyway, sorry, continue. Well, what I'm saying is, I mean, we talked, you know, he's been, he's, he's appeared in six games. In six of the games that he's appeared in in the last year, he injured himself in three of those games. They're coming for Josh. They found a stash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you so, hear Josh jumping out a window, you know what's going on. So, is, so that is, white boy can run. As quickly as. <laughs> As quickly as Dickerson entered the portal, he's withdrawn. Uh, good news for FSU. Speaking of transfer portal, if you if uh, you enter the portal and you pull out of the portal, can you re-enter the portal? Can you re-portal? Yeah, sure, I guess. I hope so. God, well, portal magic. Once you portal, the portal don't stop. I was actually I got bored this morning, so I was looking at the transfer portal on two four seven, which I have to admit is an awesome invention from two four seven. Just leaning into it, I like yeah, it. Yeah, but it, it's great. So I'm sitting there looking at the quarterback market after Josh Jackson goes to Maryland to allow us to transition a bit. That's an FSU target. That's an. That's where I was going to go. Thank you. Yeah. So FSU needs transfers. They're looking at the line. They're looking at quarterbacks. Those are the main two positions. They'd probably take a DN if they were really good too. Um, so I'm looking at the quarterbacks, and you know the names are getting kind of there's not a whole lot out there. Sparkle Starkle from Texas A&M. FSU's involved there. Nick Starkle. Sparkle Starkle. They call him Sparkle? I don't know. I'm calling him Sparkle. I'm here for it. Every time I give a quarterback a nickname, he ends up somewhere else. There's a 70% chance that Nick Starkle is going to go to Maryland at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm looking at like Hennon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister. Uh, I think it's something. Ty Story from Arkansas. I'm looking at those and like looking at these kids and start googling them and seeing, you know, hey, what's going on here. Like I knew a Hooker might end up back at VTech. Burmeister is actually at VTech for a visit, I believe, right now. And it's just like, man, the market's awful, and people aren't interested in the market. Like colleges aren't for the most part. It's very few and far between. It's just amazing how bad the quarterback market and the transfer market has. So quickly become after being so good. Well, I mean, they they picked up the top guys. Right. That's how that that's how that goes. Um, well, do we? 
Sorry, I spaced out. Did, how much did you talk about Josh Jackson going to Maryland? He went. To, he committed to Maryland last night, but that's been likely for some time. Uh, Josh, Josh talked to. Thought that was going to happen. Yeah, Josh talked to. I think it was Locks at Maryland. Don't after you, Lance. you're going to have to edit this out too. You're going to get him you don't in have trouble. To, I'm not going to get him in trouble, but he came away from that conversation knowing Maryland was still in the transfer market and thinking Jackson was likely to end up there. So it wasn't really a huge shock, but. Jackson was the first name we were told FSU was going to go after today. DeAndre was kicked out. So for people to act like FSU wasn't interested, that's completely false. Well, we um, also know before um, – when Josh Jackson put his name in the portal, a couple of days later I got, his, I got a, a hold of him and reached out to him, and he told me that FSU would come by. You he know, put his hand in the portal, the pulled him out. Um, the man's talking. At that point I asked if – he had a visit set up, and he said, no, not yet. He didn't want to speak about any other teams in his recruitment. After signing day, when DeAndre Francois was released, I reached back out to Josh Jackson because we, you know, we needed to know, okay, where's FSU going to turn here? Jackson informed me that no visit was set up. I asked, has there still been contact? And he said yes. So to that extent, we know FSU was pursuing him, um, but he never did make it in on a visit. And if you listen to the last podcast, I did tell you guys that Jackson was going to end up at Maryland. Um, so he, he never did make it in on a visit, but he was a person of interest, let's just call it. Yeah, if you didn't want so him, are they, stop it. Now, are, I want the fan base to stop doing that whenever they you miss on it. Okay. You, you, you I've had a lot you, of caffeine. Yeah, geez, I want people man. to stop doing calm that. Calm down. So are they all in at this point on Starkle you Sparkle? Have, or do you, have to do be. you think there's a mystery candidate behind door number right. two? I hope there's a mystery candidate just because – who knows? There's what, a, I mean, guys, there's a plan. It's bad for Starkle. I mean, there needs to be a mystery candidate or, at this point. I would like to to know that if FSU misses on Starkle, that there's another option. There's a plan. Yeah, there's the post. You go through spring and then post spring, some guy decides to transfer and Correct. go after that. So that's there's that. But that's that's an incredibly calculated risk with a lack of a depth chart. I have two thoughts on, on Starkle and just the whole appeal. Sparkle. Starkle. Stop. Start calling Sparkle for real. Sparkle. Um, one, the tough position FSU's in is there's not an option out there right now that is inherently better than James Blackman. Correct? Do we all three agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you have to recruit someone in who is going to push him or be competent enough to, if he goes down, be your number two. That's what the... And who has the immediate eligibility. And that has the ability to play because right now they don't have anyone on the roster on our scholarship. Does. Yep. That, that, that does. Uh, so that's a hard... <laughs> guy to find that fits both those criteria it's it more or less non-existent like if you're a starkle like do you come to fsu if you're not guaranteed a starting spot and then the other thing i'll say about about nick starkle and i didn't remember starkle sparkle i don't i didn't watch him much so i can't say i've only looked at the numbers and they're fine but i know he lost his starting spot and i know that jimbo fisher for all his many flaws knows quarterbacks if he went with someone else who wasn't a particularly prolific quarterback over him that would give me pause in what what starkle can do granted different offensive schemes that jimbo was trying to accomplish but at least that's something that's kind of been in my mind as i've i've tried to understand that, that that's a possibility for fsu and how crappy would it be if you're taking jimbo fisher's leftovers too just oh how ironic yeah <laughs> <laughs> It would just it would just be such optically it just would be not ideal. Yeah. So the quarterback situation. It, that's a that's a classic situation of sometimes even when you win you lose. <laughs> like you go and you land Starkle, but then then you got to realize that it's just a it's off the Jimbo scrap heap. I think Karen Key Largo is going to start tweeting that for the last two years. Yep. Yep. Oh, the irony. 
Uh, Wyatt Rector is a name to keep an eye on, but right now I'm not sure. And he's the quarterback I tweeted about him about a week or two ago. He was from Western Michigan, didn't really work out there. Thought about just going like to Division Two or something so he could have immediate eligibility. Um, right now, yeah, I think FSU has interest in him. I've understood that the two sides have talked a couple times, uh, but but right now I don't know if FSU is willing to to invest a scholarship in him because they're not 100% sure whether he'd be eligible or not. He's not a graduate transfer. Uh, they think he'd be able to get a transfer waiver given that the coach who recruited him at Western Michigan uh, isn't there anymore is my understanding. But anyways, that's a name to keep an eye on uh, as kind of a, another plan, another option, another body that you would bring in. But again, guys, I'd, unless there's some other candidate out there that we're completely missing and, and people are keeping secret from us, uh, I think that's that's the quarterback situation right now, right? Yeah, and the transition once again yesterday in talking to sophomores, a common name discussed was Nolan McDonald. So Yeah, let's talk about Nolan McDonald really quickly because people are asking about him. I know other publications are writing about him. You gotta do what you gotta do. We'll probably write something on Nolan. My concern is I don't want to gas up someone too much. Uh, he's, a, he's an excellent athlete. Excellent athlete. But if his arm was better, he would not be at FSU. And he would not have originally been at Air Force. Correct. Um, and that, that's just the honest truth about it. And we talked to people out, you know, Greg Biggins gave us, gave, and I respect the hell out of Greg and, yeah. and his ability to evaluate and analyze Greg guys. is our West Coast analyst yeah. concentrating in the Cali markets. And he covered both both Cam McDonald and Nolan McDonald, the two brothers. Had a great Beach relationship Poly. with Cam. Um, and, and he really liked Nolan as an athlete uh, and thinks if there is a scheme that, that he could fit within, it'd be one like FSU runs. Uh, but said he's a better athlete than he is a quarterback. Uh, again, when you're looking at options in your FSU, these aren't great situations, but the truth is he's a walk-on quarterback uh, and, and a high-end one, one that probably could get a scholarship and did get scholarship to play at other places, but but that's not who you want as your number two. I'm not even sure it's who you want as your number three. Maybe in a couple of years he develops more. You're fine with him being the breaking case of emergency guy. Uh but yeah, I, I don't want to overhype him right now. I mean, you know, if he comes in and has an awesome spring, I'll gladly eat crow. Like I have no problem with that. I just think that there's kind of a cap to what he is. I think you could do, run some sub packages with him, but I'm not gonna gas him up like some others are doing. I think that's unfair to him, and I think that's disingenuous to to our readers and listeners. How about that? All right. Works so, for me. so into transition one more time, huh? Huh? Stay on our level here, Josh. Chris and I just. Gelling right now. I'm here, man. I'm, I'm listening to you guys uh, <laughs> run the two-man weave. Go, Woo. keep going. Oh, it's supposed to be three-man weave. He feels left okay. out. Here I am, just twiddling my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is going to be great because I'm kicking it over to Chris. We talked to six rising sophomores yesterday, uh, that being Monday. That's uh, Cam McDonald, tight end, Kayshawn Helton, wide receiver, Treshawn Harrison, wide receiver, Asante Samuel Jr., cornerback. Safety, linebacker, combo guy, Jaden Woodby, and defensive tackle, Robert Cooper. Jaden Lars Woodby. Jaden Lars Woodby. I'm gonna Train that, yourself, I'm young gonna man. I'm going to make that mistake a lot in the next couple months. Um, anyways, all those guys, really impressive, right, Chris? Yeah, and, yeah. as a collective group, they were unbelievably impressive. Uh, Asante's a very direct dude. He's a dog even in the interviews. He's just he's going right at you. Coop is big Coop. He, he wants to talk about what he knows about, not the things that he's not you know there to talk about. Woodby is a future politician of the bunch. Dude can own an interview. He's fantastic. He's a great kid to talk to. He's definitely a guy that can lead FSU in many, many ways. Um, Cam McDonald is kind of a similar cloth of Jaden. You know, they're both very well-spoken dudes who have great heads on their shoulders, and you can tell they were raised well with 
thoughtful parents and they think about things. They answer things thoroughly. I did not talk to Trayshawn, but in having dealt with him in the past, another kid, very intelligent young man, guy that's thoughtful, thinks about things, highly competitive dude. And then Keyshawn Helton is the epitome of chip on the shoulder. You know, that guy could play seven years in the NFL and still think people doubt him. And it's because for much of his life he has been doubted because he's scrawny and he's just not that guy that stands out. But he just does it. And guys love him. His teammates praise him thoroughly for being a great practice player, note taker, excellent in the meeting. He just does it all right. He does everything you need to do away from the physical ability on the field to be superbly good. And he has enough physical ability on the field to make him a very good football player. He he maximizes everything available to him. So, yeah. Tribe 18 group, all sophomores, all guys that contributed last year, all rising up. That group can lead. That Well, you're, they're incredibly young. Most of them haven't even been on campus for a full 12 months. Those are the dudes that if you're going to turn this program around and set a new tone, it kind of starts with a group like them. And the most common name we heard out of those six guys' mouths outside of Robert Cooper, I don't think he talked about them, was James Blackman. And real quick, and I'll pump an audio of Asante Samuel talking about James Blackman. Uh, everyone talked about him, but here's Asante talking about James. Uh, James is a tremendous leader. He's he's always cheering on the teammates, no matter if he's playing or not. It's just, he's a he's a James Winston type of guy. Like just everybody loves him. Everybody knows he's gonna work hard, come out and play energy. It's just glad to have him. Now that he's kind of the guy, has that changed him at all, or is he the same guy he was? No, I think it actually made him work a little bit harder because he knows he, um, a lot of people are depending on him, and he wants to prove a lot of people wrong that doubted him. Did you know him at all before you got here? Um, we knew we had a mutual friend, like, and he's from down south, so I knew him a little bit. What's it like competing against him in practice? Uh, it's kind of good because I know playing against James, I'm gonna get all the work and practice so like whatever happens in the game I've been seeing it uh, so it's just a blessing to play against him alright so thoughts on Asante what he says about James I, I think it's interesting he mentions the name Jameis Winston that's what the headlines you know people are going to click on that but oh, I heard that quote I'm like you got God, bless, good God bless you son <laughs> thank you uh, but I think it's really really cool that guys are embracing James Blackman and, and Chris you and I talked a little bit about this but I'll kick it to Josh first because I don't want him to feel not engaged. I think it's cool that guys are embracing and leaning into James, leaning into James being the guy. And it's about damn time I think that the program recognizes it. I know players like them a lot, but I think it's cool that people are leaning into it. Well, I'm glad it's happened at some point. He's the only guy to lean into. <laughs> That's uh, true. But hold on, I just wanted to back it up because you guys were there. You guys conducted these interviews, so there's not a whole lot for me to say. Mm -hmm. um, just so I can add something different, I want to say that. Um, I watched those videos from maybe more of a fan perspective, and I thought it was great and so refreshing to remember that we got guys with a great attitude, guys that are genuinely excited to be Seminoles, uh, guys that really want to get out there and prove it. Um, we get so caught up, um, maybe we as in media, maybe fans don't, but we in the media get so caught up with what's happening to, to the program. Um, the dysfunction that seems like is going on and at times unorganization that we forget that there's some really good players on this team that have the capability of getting this thing right. Um, a, a couple wins under their belt, you know, midway through the year and they're feeling good and we can get eight, nine, 10 wins and this thing can get straightened out. And by seeing these interviews 
it kind of reminded you that there is a lot of hope and there is a lot of excitement still within the program. Yeah, and the coaching staff has talked off the record and even some on the record about how 18 was the foundation class, and you see that with that group. And in the same token, some of the guys that they walked in the door and had by adoption aren't going to help them. And they've been slow to weed some of those out, but we've seen some leave the program here recently. So Quandre White, DeAndre Francois, Nyquan by graduation to a lesser degree than the other two, but still he's mm-hmm. in that same book. And there's still others that they need to move on from. But that list is getting shorter and you're getting more guys like we saw yesterday. And I think, well, some of it's just, you know, lip service with 2019 and the culture talk with it to kind of put a soft uh, touch on the class being ranked more towards 20 than towards one. That class does have a lot of guys that in dealing with them, I think highly of them. I think are cut from similar cloth as these six guys we talked to yesterday. I certainly think Kevon Glenn's a guy who is that of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Plumley was definitely a guy that they pursued that was of that sort. There are others. Jaleel McCray, yeah, those are really yeah. sharp, thoughtful. And Jaleel's a leader yeah. type. Jaleel's a guy that he You like those pictures from the chase? But that is who he is. He is an invested dude on the field. He works really, really hard. My only concern with Jaleel McCray is his knees. Always has been. Everything else, that guy checks the boxes. I don't like it. God, I use the cliche. Newton all is gonna give me crap for that. No, um, I'm the only one who uses cliches, apparently. No, I use cliches aplenty. Um, but no, I, like I see it. It's happening. The issue is that it's all going to be done in a vacuum and happen quickly. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if they start the year poorly and it tumbles downhill, it, I don't know where it goes. Like I, I can't envision a future where they're buying themselves enough time to turn it around like they hope. If they mm-hmm. start the year with a win over Boise, some success in those first three, four weeks – you know, showing signs of life. Some young guys are coming alive. You're starting to see, you know, more Jaden Woodby's rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Jaden Lars Woodby's rise to the top and be leadership types. Then it gets the ball rolling in the right direction. Problem is last year, it went downhill and it went downhill quickly and it crashed. Mm-hmm. It never slowed down. It Let's just crashed. Save that because I have a question at the very end that I want to talk about. I think the important macro. thing for this year is not that it ascends to the top or anything absurd like that. It needs to show signs of life and signs of progress. Mm -hmm. And guys that we talked to yesterday are guys that give you optimism, belief that it can be done. And they also reinforce some of the statements that we try to poke holes in from Willie Taggart and others about culture change and all this. Those guys do reinforce those statements. The thing is that it needs to become the overwhelming portion of the team Mm -hmm. and not a small segment of the team. And that, that takes time. And, that, and remember, those were only six guys. Those are handpicked to be the representatives of that sophomore class of the Tribe 18 group. But I, we all agree we're all on the same page. A really impressive group of guys. They all seem very buttoned up, very thoughtful. It was cool. It was like Cam McDonald. Uh, when we meet him, he, he shook every one of our hands, asked for our names. Uh, and then I joke, I said, okay, like, recite them all right now. And he goes, no, but seriously, he's like, when you're asking me a question, please mention your name so that'll help me remember it. Like, it's a next level way of like, I don't know how that translates to success or not on the field, but I know that that's, that's encouraging for a program that's lacked culture and leadership. And this dates back before Willie got here. Those are the kind of things that at least like make you feel better about where it's going. Obviously you have to win, but the, the young man spoke for 20 minutes, made eye contact with everybody mm-hmm. and answered every question. as so he put thought into it. 
that those are good characteristics. Right, exactly. That tends to translate to when you're sitting in front of a whiteboard with your coaching staff talking about something or you're telling them something in practice, are they absorbing it? It tends to translate. Guys who are willing to sit there and have some patience tend to do well in tough situations. It means something. Right. And some of it is they're not burnt out. We're not burnt out on them. You know, Correct. The relationship is new. But Wait till having to see us every right. Monday for the next two I mean, DeMarcus Walker was a hell of a player, and he was tired as they could be of seeing us. By the they end kept trotting him out every yeah. single week. And we felt too. bad for him at the end. It was sort of like him and Freddie Stevenson. I don't care that he had two, <laughs> two and a half sacks. Don't bring him. He doesn't do, want to talk to do us. We want, I know we haven't gotten to the audio that I just played. Like, Well, not just played, but a few minutes ago uh, of Asante Sam. Do you want me to play the Jaden Woodby audio real quick for people to hear kind of what we're talking about? Jaden Lars Woodby. Jaden. Lars I had to text his mom and apologize because I wrote a whole story with her being Lynette Woodby and she says she goes by both. But, yeah. but anyways. The Lars is her maiden name. He wants to have both names on his jersey for this upcoming That was my season. understanding. So anyways, here's here's Jaden Lars Woodby so you get an idea of him. Um, I mean, honestly, you know, he talked to me about it, you know, when I got here. He wanted, me, he wanted me to be one of the main people who helped change the culture. And I feel like, you know, I'm actually, I feel like I'm doing that. You know, I feel like I'm setting a good example for the Tribe 19, Tribe 18, and even some dudes that's older than me. You know, I'm just trying to, like, my main goal when I'm here is actually to try and help other people succeed as well. You know, I'm trying to succeed, but helping other people succeed on the way is, is a benefit as well. So. You talk about helping other people succeed. Well, who helped make the transition from high school to college easier for you, a coach, a, a specific player? Uh, I mean, my dad, uh, Coach Brown, my 707 coach. I have another Coach Brown. He's my track coach. Um, so many people, honestly. But those are the first few that come to mind. You know, they help me out every day. You know, I'll wake up at 4 a.m. with my dad every morning, driving to school, you know, um, working out before I went to school, driving back, working out after, um, going to Coach Brown for track workouts and then the other Coach Brown for football workouts, you know. And all of them actually, like, helped humble me, you know. Because they were just telling me, you know, you just got to work whenever. You know, my coach, he used to have me actually work out with five- and six-year-olds. And, I mean, it was like a culture shock. I'm like, why am I not working out with the older kids? And he was just like, you know, you have to be able to work and push your body even when, you know, the competition around you isn't as good as you are. And I feel like that kind of helped me out, you know, because when the competition might not be as good, you know, it just helped me still, you know, push myself to the limit. So, All right, so obviously really thoughtful and, and smart and articulate and just a guy who's not your average 19-year-old. Like, yep. you know, he, he, he speaks better than I do. He talks better than I do, Chris. When I'm at the moor for junior days, recruiting visits, or just stalking, you know, whatever I'm doing, I see that guy go in and out of that building more than any other football player. Yeah. Yep, that's and that's been true since the day he arrived mm-hmm. on campus. I thought it was like a new thing when he first got no, here. No, he's just always, a year later. always around, um, and you're always on the bench to. Not bad that for a guy who recruited himself via Twitter. <laughs> All right, so with the comments that we have from Asante Samuel and James Blackman, and his were by far the, the most verbose and like you know meaty quotes, but everyone spoke really highly of James. When we talked to Trey Sean about guys who were leading at the chase, the first name out of his mouth is James Blackman. Uh, I know it's the off season. I know it's just workouts, but to me that feels good to hear. I think that's but what that's you, been true for so long. You're right. James Blackman has been been the epitome of top tier teammate for FSU for well over a year. Mm-hmm. 
And I think a lot of players recognize that, especially players that are going to help FSU be a better football team long-term. But for whatever reason, the powers in charge weren't as quick to take up on Well, they, they've spoken about it, but they weren't as quick to put their full faith behind him. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that being a mistake. Their hands been we, we thought that was a mistake previously, but now here's your chance. Just hopefully it's not too late in that regard. But All right, one last thing, and this is more to help me settle an argument with uh, a friend of the podcast and, a, and someone in the FSU market, but I won't mention his name because he hasn't given me the, the okay to, but we got in a debate the other day, typical for our dynamic, uh, whether FSU would have had a top 10 recruiting class this past cycle if they had gone, let's say, 8-4, and four, like a healthy 8-4 and four, uh, looking more competent, obviously ways, finding ways to win, not as many blowout losses. Would that recruiting class have been top 10? Remember, it finished top 18 uh, or at 18. Do you think that would have made that big of a difference for what this staff is as recruiters and some of those strategies they had? Josh, I will throw that hypothetical onto you because I just want this to be able to argue with, with someone. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a stupid argument, but there's no doubt that FSU would have been at or – you know, it's somewhere in the 8 to 11 range, but probably 10, 9, somewhere in that range. Had they won eight games, I don't think that puts them in a bowl game. I mean, that it, it, it was a very embarrassing season for FSU to go down the way it did in the very last game to Florida to knock them out of the bowl eligibility um, and, and leave them at a, a five-win season. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that if FSU won eight games, they'd – have a top 10 class. Yeah, you know where I stand on this. We've talked about it before. I think their class could have competed with the, the you know, Oregon to Tennessee stretch there, which is 7 to 12. Oregon, Michigan, Florida, Clemson, Auburn, Tennessee. I think they would have been right there in that argument. I think they land a guy like Kayvon potentially, you know, with which some probably success. brings them up to like a top 12 um, class if you keep him their, Nick their biggest issue down the stretch is that they lacked a guy, they didn't land a guy that let other guys want to go there mm-hmm. quite as much as you would like. Quarterbacks do that. Top-tier recruits do that. You know, certain guys that are kind of game-changers in the sense of in the recruiting markets or a name that's recognized by other recruits that don't know them, they do that. And down the stretch, they lost more of those than they gained. And they that hurt them. Would have kept Sam Howell, too, right, if they're 8-4? Because you're not having the... Oh, should I not meant not supposed to No, I'm good with it. I just uh, that's a question for Duke Howe. He's his agent, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't think some of the Yeah, I think it would have. I yeah. mean eight wins, but let's be honest, you know, eight wins, there's probably not as much dissension on offense. Uh there's the Walt Bell might be sticking around for another year. Willie Taggart might have never you know uh, given up play calling duties, like who knows? That's what I'm saying. Everything is different. A lot of problems. Yeah. And I think just FSU getting to eight wins last season it, with that schedule. Would have been a good start for, for Coach Taggart. We're entering the twilight zone of FSU football 2019 or 2018, 2019 recruiting cycle. Yeah, we're done talking about the. Yeah, did I call it 2018 like, earlier? Yeah. I I'm sorry, know. guys. It was during 2018 season for the 2019 I don't know, cycle. But we all knew what I was talking about, right? We did. Yeah. I uh, but we'll, I'll but leave it at this. You two do have a lot of dumb arguments. I've learned to just kind of. But I'm usually right on dumb arguments. Yeah, I let you believe what you want to believe. Good. I believe I'm right most of the time. Uh, I do think the overarching, like, the thing, though, that, that I believe as we do that stupid exercise is if this staff has something positive to sell, I think that they can be really good recruiters. Um, I think that's all. Like, it wasn't as far off as maybe you would think the end results are, but when you can't win enough games and you lose the way you did, that, 
that it obviously impacts things. Yeah, it's a program that's fully capable of living in that upper echelon. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap this up and go for a circle, you know, if, if Kendall Bryles and Randy Clements, uh, if he ends up getting hired, when he ends up getting hired, if when, around two of those if guys. DK, if DK gets the waiver, if they hire it yet, well, yeah, a lot of ifs. Yes, a lot of ifs. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, we've been kind of negative, and I'm just on a positive note. You know, if this thing gets rolling, I still think that there's a a, a very competent group of recruiters on staff that that help you out, and I think they are in a better place in 2020 uh, based on some of the relationships they've been able to develop locally and regionally, and that was something that was new to a lot of a lot of guys, or at least. Uh, didn't have the same relationships you have when you're at USF or, or whatever than you do when you're at Florida State. So, anyways, I'm just trying to be positive. Um, no, there are positives though. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent on the roster. The schedule sets up nicer. That's we, a we, that's like a nice way said, of saying it's a soft they, bad schedule. It is. If they can get a win against Boise, get that confidence going, beat ULM. If they can start the season three and zero. Mm-hmm. you're looking at maybe a change program. You know, mm-hmm. that's maybe what it's going to take, just that feeling of winning again. And that hasn't just been on Willie. I mean, let's be honest. It's been three years of of these guys needing to regain their confidence. So mm-hmm. that can happen. Um, there, it, It's not all negative. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's going on it, with the administration and the coaching stuff, and it leaves you scratching your head. But there's talent on this football team. And as we see, there are leaders on this football team, and I think there are a lot of guys that are going to go out and play some good ball this year. you got to win. I mean, that's the name of the game is winning. This is clearly a program that's that's invested into winning right now, or at least they're all in on the idea of, of winning being a priority, um, which is where you want to be. All right, we're wrapping this up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, real quick, Josh, how did you find out we were a top 200 episode on iTunes for sports podcasts? <laughs> Actually, TJ sent it to me. And he's nice. Like, Yo, he's like, I look at this thing every day. He's like, I uh, just wanted to send it to you. He's like, it is a big deal to get on these charts, even if you're just like in the bottom. But he's like, this is pretty cool. We were in the bottom. We were ahead of Dan Levitard's local hour, hour from like three days before. Which you're, now, an, hey, you're an avid I know, listener. Hey, listen, Brandon, I know you like to put, downplay things, but being in the top 200, you got to assume that there's probably thousands of sports podcasts on iTunes. This is like – being a four star isn't bad. Do you know how many three stars there are? And then when you're a three star, you know how many kids play football that are never ranked. We're, we're a three star convert- podcast. No, nah, we're just, give I'm us five star reviews. Put together a good product. That's all I'm trying to say. I uh, I know we've been doing a lot of patting on the back and like saying thank you to people, but thank you for subscribing. Uh, and I think we found our voice. I think the chemistry with the three of us has gotten pretty good, and it's cool. Like I said, we're uh, doing some things with the podcast in the future. I think this week they said we may be moving over from. SoundCloud to uh, Megaphone as far as like a hosting site and that should hopefully like we'll have national behind us to like throw in some uh, some better equipment for recording and it maybe fix out like figure out how to put something on Spotify or Google Play like stuff that's beyond my pay grade so anyways thank you for listening and I also didn't want to have a podcast like our one of our better podcasts as far as people listening to it be followed up by a stupid basketball one which you guys can listen to later this week. Thank you for listening to the North 247 podcast. This is Brendan Sedone. Josh, thanks for joining. Chris, we're going to wax poetic on some basketball jokes. Yeah, tomorrow or Thursday. All right. Bye, guys.